So selfishly is about growth, you know, like whether it's revenue relationships as individuals, it was really about growth. Externally, it's about content output and helping connect the dots and showcase what legal cannabis looks like, right? The nuances of experience for consumers and patients and the brands that are available, the products that are available, the discussion, you know, like people are in Washington, where I'm from, like we have no delivery, we have no social equity, we have no home grow. We have no lounges, you know, and so some of these things like people have never seen that they don't even know that it exists. So just showing like, damn, you can throw an event in downtown L.A. and have a license. Brands can showcase product and you can have licensed delivery, all compliant, have fucking Cameron performing at the concert that you're selling weed at. Like people in Washington are like, what the fuck, you know? And so it's about showcasing that, celebrating the culture, showing the brands. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello, and welcome back to the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Tarabi, cannabis business owner and brand marketer. And I have some housekeeping notes to share with you to kick off today's episode. As some of you may have already heard, I have begun live streaming these episodes to, man, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube, as well as just leveraging the video content on my YouTube channel for those of you who might be visual learners and obviously also because YouTube is a major search engine. So from a marketing perspective, love being able to have the podcast over there. But damn, 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 am I having some technical difficulties that have been unfortunately unforeseen and quite frankly are a pain in my ass regarding this episode and the last episode with Kim Stuck. My audio wasn't fluid. There's like obviously some like technical things that were going wrong, but essentially there were some master editing skills that my production team had to employ, as well as just general poor sound quality because of these technical difficulties that they couldn't fully edit around for the sake of impacting the integrity of the conversation. So unfortunately they were trying to edit things out and the reality is my microphone, while it was intaking audio, it didn't do the best job of capturing that audio. So with that said, I am very, very sorry if these episodes are a bit difficult to hear me in some parts of the discussion. It is par for the course when leveraging these tech platforms and the reality is no perfect solution exists right now, but really kind of ever. It's kind of like the name of the game I've learned. In technology, it's it's only going to work, you know, 85% of the time. I am also essentially a team of one when it comes to troubleshooting and setting up my tech integrations. And so I just want you to know that I'm doing my best to keep the quality of the show improving and hate when these things decline the audio quality. So my sincerest apologies to you all, but it is what it is. With that said, please bear with me because today's guest story is one you do not want to miss out on and has already impacted and inspired me so much from the time we started recording it. And I'm just generally so excited for you to listen to what he has to share. Now, before I introduce him and share about his background, I did want to highlight some other industry news to keep you updated on what's going on. The first thing is... 
where the hell did September go? <laughs> I know I'm not the only one and I can't believe that that month just flew by. It literally happened in the blink of an eye and now we are welcoming October. And in a few weeks, the industry will be congregating in Las Vegas for MJ BizCon in early November. The more exciting news though, is that I've been invited for the first time ever to be a speaker at MJ BizCon, which is a huge opportunity for me because hello, it's MJ BizCon and I'm just little old me Miss Marketer over here. And with that said, I will be speaking on mastering the art of content marketing. So if you're at the show, please come check out my session and let's connect in real life. And this is also a PSA that if you would like to attend, I actually have a discount code for you for 10% off. If you use code, I'm going to spell it out. It is SPKMJB2210. Again, it's SPKMJB2210 for 10% off. And again, I would love to see you at MJ BizCon, meet you and just network. It's going to be a great show. It'll be my second time back in Vegas for this conference. And I'm really obviously looking forward to being a speaker. So now let's get into some trending news topics. I am going to keep today's short for the sake of time, but these two stories that I'm sharing with you are really interesting. They piqued my interest and I wanted to share them, of course. So the first one is a headline from Leafly that reads, medical cannabis for doggies, kitties is fully legalized in California. The article goes on to say that the newly enacted Assembly Bill 1885 allows veterinarians to recommend medical cannabis products for their furry patients. Before, vets could only discuss such products with their patients' owners, leading many vets to avoid the topic rather than risk losing their license. The whole point is to empower animal medicine experts to guide caregiving for sick animals. Right now, desperate pet owners turn to internet forums or a DIY pet dosing. And really, Dr. Shu, who was a doctor quoted in this article, said, we want owners to have guidance. Traditionally, vets have said, sorry, I can't talk to you about that. And this bill closes that gap. So go to a vet and get that recommendation is a way to kind of bridge the gap to allow more trust for cannabis consumption, especially for animals. And in my personal opinion, this is a huge step towards normalizing cannabis consumption for animals, which is already heavily adopted, especially from a CBD perspective. But of course, without proper legislation has made the line very blurry and murky for these vets to actually recommend these products. So I hope this allows for more adoption and opens up the conversation for other states. The article also goes on to say vets have been discussing using CBD as well as low doses of THC to calm seizures, decrease arthritis, pain, ease anxiety, and stimulate appetite in animals with cancer. And yes, if these sound like the human applications for medical cannabis and CBD, it's because they are very similar. All vertebrates have an endocannabinoid system that responds to the active ingredients in cannabis, and animals have different tolerances and contraindications than humans, but the science is there. And so again, I think this is a conversation that for sure comes up in my role from a CBD retailer perspective. We definitely have some veterinarians who kind of like sideline recommend our products, and then others who like outright basically are like, we don't want to talk about cannabis or CBD because we could lose our license. So again, I hope that this is a step in the direction of normalizing it and giving those veterinarians the the confidence to talk about this publicly and make recommendations. Obviously, California being a major cannabis state, hopefully it helps influence other states. 
The next one is pretty interesting to me, and I would honestly love your take on if we should encourage more law enforcement to engage in these types of educational opportunities. Maybe you know where I'm going with this story. But according to the Wall Street Journal article titled, Welcome to the World's Oddest Pot Party, thrown by the local police in Maryland, the police set up green labs to sharpen their field sobriety skills and show marijuana enthusiasts how much it impairs driving. So the article goes on to outline how Montgomery County Police Lieutenant John O'Brien urged the 10 marijuana enthusiasts who had brought joints, blunts, edibles, vape pens, I thought this was funny. At least one bong to the Public Safety Training Academy in this suburban Maryland county to, quote, just have fun. The police called a green lab and essentially participants have two 30-minute periods to get high. Kind of weird, you're getting high on command in front of cops. After each one, they are ushered into classrooms for a battery of field sobriety tests, such as walking in a straight line or trying to walk in a straight line. The Montgomery County was the first police department in the U.S. to hold a green lab. I didn't realize this. They did that back in 2018, according to police officials there. And the recent one was the county's ninth, which is crazy to me. I had no idea this was going on. So law enforcement agencies in Seattle and Ohio recently launched similar programs. And I guess the whole point is to actually highlight the impairment from a consumption perspective, which also gives law enforcement visual cues as well to help normalize the consumption, which to me is like akin to drinking alcohol at a bar. Like that should be normalized. It's obviously normalized, but the moment you like over consume and you get behind a moving vehicle, you're putting yourself and others in danger. Like that's where law enforcement obviously needs to take action to prevent that type of behavior. And so the story was a fun read and there was a lot of sentiment around, of course, how weird it was to get high in front of law enforcement. But again, I think these are interesting programs that that are being implemented and, and also a necessary step to normalizing and educating both sides about the realities of this plant being adopted into society. So as always, if anything I shared inspired you, made you outraged, gave you a good LOL, please reach out and let's discuss why. And I'll include the links to those articles in the show notes for reference below. And now getting into today's guest, Mitch Pfeiffer. Mitch is the founder and CEO of Respect My Region, a digital lifestyle publication and marketing agency. He's written over 1,200 articles on cannabis and music published across various websites, publications, and magazines. And in a previous life, Mitch was a legacy cannabis operator who also worked in retail, sports apparel, the music industry, and real estate marketing. In 2011, Mitch started Respect My Region as a lifestyle brand. He threw concerts and events all over the Pacific Northwest, selling clothing through e-commerce, traditional retail channels, and medical cannabis dispensaries. And following recreational cannabis legalization in Washington in 2016, Mitch combined his legacy cannabis content and marketing experience to move into the recreational cannabis space. Respect My Region has worked with clients in both the music and cannabis industry, including the likes of Stizzy, Jungle Boys, Cookies, Weed Maps, Wyclef Jean, and countless others. And just so much goodness came out of this episode. I really sincerely enjoyed this conversation. I actually come from a live music background. And so a lot of the things that Mitch was bringing up from his own journey and just, you know, the experience he was having blending cannabis and music together was really relatable to me because that's kind of how I got into the industry growing up in Austin, loving live music and of course consuming cannabis while at these shows it's obviously very hand in hand but as the industry has opened up and unfolded mitch has found success in a path to operate and bring all his passions together and i just really resonated with mitch's hustle and grind because I have a very similar, like I said, background and just, you know, way about going about things. And so I'm just excited to share a story with you for a dose of inspiration today. So 
please join me by lighting one up and let's welcome Mitch to the show. Thank you very much for the intro. Appreciate you having me on here too, Shada. Really, really appreciate that. Yeah, honored to be on here. This is year two of the North American Weed Tour, building off of three years of something we did called the West Coast Weed Tour. But yeah, yeah, my, you know, my background is kind of unique how I've got here. I feel like it's a little bit of just like following passion and then a lot of just like doing what you have to do to pursue that passion. And in doing that, you learn new things about yourself or unlock new skills. And for me, every everything started at like, I started making beats when I was like 13 or 14. I grew up in a very small country town. So this is, you know, early 2000s. There wasn't YouTube. I don't know if it even existed. And so like finding out how to make beats or how to use a drum machine that I bought. You know, I had to read manuals. I had to search the internet on like message, like forums and like message boards. There was nobody in my hometown to interact with and just pursuing how to make music required me to like really dive on the internet and try and find, you know, what we now call content back then. I don't even know that word. It was something I was familiar with. And then once I started making music, it was like, okay, how do I then meet artists to now work with, right? Because I make a beat, I want to work with the artist to complete it. There's no artist in my town that I live in. So then it was using, you know, early versions of social media being like AOL Instant Messenger, MSN Messenger, graduating to MySpace later, you know, it was like pre-MySpace, but MySpace was a part of the journey and like leveraging these tools to, you know, one, find community, but two, like kind of to pursue the passion, it was a requirement. And in doing that, it really built a backbone of like social media networking, not necessarily social media marketing, because those platforms weren't really equipped for marketing, maybe MySpace a little bit later, but it was networking and like how to be resourceful, like how to find fucking information when there's not much out there, how to find community. And then how to like, you know, when I wanted to sell beats, it's like, okay, now I don't know how to do this. How do I find people that want to buy what I'm doing? How do I market? And so, you know, in doing all of that, it was like I had to teach myself so many skills and use all these platforms and stuff that really have contributed to where I'm at now. You know, I always say like where I'm at now is a sum of all the previous parts, you know, both like philosophically and like skill wise or whatever. And so that's just a little bit of like how I got into like marketing and, you know, leveraging the internet and content, you know, they're definitely early on it. But cannabis, you know, I, I started smoking like, you know, a lot of people like early high school, like 14 or 15. I, I started dabbling a little bit growing up. A, a lot of my close friends were the guys that were that were selling it early on. And so I just kind of was around it from them. As I got a little bit older in my life, a lot of those guys graduated to other substances that had a better profit margin, if you will, and started doing their thing. And, and I got a little bit more into cannabis around like 18 or 19. And there was kind of a gap in my friend group. Nobody was really, you know, doing the commerce of cannabis. That's why I say selling weed. I say commerce of cannabis. No one was doing that at that time. And so, you know, in the quest, like most people to just like smoke weed for free, basically, I started, you know, partaking in that. And again, I just had a lot of close friends that were able to put me on like, you know, how to use a digi scale, like how, <laughs> how to find suppliers, how things work and, and, you know, how the measurements of everything, you know, the, the street mathematics, if you will. And, and I really started taking off, you know, through a little business that I had one of my, not my first business, but one of my first business endeavors that really taught me about you know, again, not directly doing it while I was doing it. But once I learned later about supply chain, about building client list, about, you know, diversifying your product offerings and product pricing, like it's super weird to think, but like selling weed in this, you know, off the books was really taught me, gave me real life experience with so many things. And 
honestly, at the end of my hustle, I, I never had a medical card, even though I lived in a medical state. I was worried that that would ruin future career opportunities or potentially put me on a list that could threaten, you know, the entire business that I was building. But at the end of it, I actually, I literally sold my business. I sold, I had a portfolio of three suppliers, kind of my A, B, and C. So I could always have, you know, the same quality of weed at the same, at, at a similar price to my clients. And I sold my black book of clients and my list of suppliers. I slowly introduced someone in. I got, and it was a good friend I grew up with, but I was paid to pay the upfront fee and then a, a royalty for a little bit. And again, I, you know, the word royalty, I didn't even think of all that. I just was like, this is worth this. So this is how I want to do this deal. But yeah, that was, that was my first and probably only business exit was was selling a, a weed business on the streets and respect my region. You know, I know we talked previously, but that was originally this business idea that I had to take the money out of cannabis into something that was more sustainable. Because while I was selling cannabis, I was going to school, I was working a job, I wasn't committed or had a dream of selling weed for my entire life. It was kind of a, a means to an end, a hustle to help get investment for music and able for me to live the life that I I wanted to live. But I also very much liked cannabis and believed in it. So while I definitely partaked in it for the hustle, I definitely was a connoisseur and definitely believed in the medical properties of it and just a big believer and always was like, why is this shit illegal and average, you know, alcohol is everything, just things like that. But I also didn't ever think cannabis would be what it was. So I, I did what I did and, and invested that in a company. And, and at a certain point, I got out of that. And all of a sudden, cannabis got legalized in Washington in 2016. And everything was able to, in the sum of all parts, everything came full circle of, oh, shit, I already, all these people that are transitioning their cultivations over to the legal market, running dispensaries. I, I know I've been doing business with these guys. I know these guys. Like, I know some of the you know the brands that we're carving out and we had been creating content on music for so long and doing marketing for music it just seemed like such a natural thing to just transition literally transition from the black market legacy market whatever you want to call it to the recreational market and since then it's really just been pivoting alongside the game you know as the game changed we're able to change alongside it nothing's forced nothing's like hey i have an idea of doing something i've never been before it's like this is how the game's transitioning and this is how i feel like can transition alongside of it i think that's like the best attitude to have in this industry it's hard i think sometimes people look at like oh you're making excuses like you're not actually planning things or you're not projecting where you could go but the reality is the industry is very tumultuous and it's really difficult to kind of expect and you can have the best intentions to go in a direction but you know the shoe could drop and that could completely change or shatter in a matter of you know moments and so you do have to have this positivity attitude because why not like you you have to try to be positive and try to succeed as much as possible and also the other you know end of the spectrum i really appreciated your just like tenacity and hustle mentality it really resonates with me because i feel like i was like a myspace kid <laughs> so like that's how i learned html like honest to god like these platforms were tools that to your point they weren't necessarily like marketing machines yet but they were these places to build community, to connect, to like put yourself out there. It's so funny. I was talking to my fiance about this because he's not as like digitally inclined. Sorry. And like, I love you, but you're not. And he doesn't understand like how I have friends from the internet. And obviously now it makes sense. It's like you can find somebody's town in another state. Like we obviously don't live in the same state. We got through LinkedIn. But back in like MySpace days, like I have a friend in Australia that I've gotten to meet. She's come to Austin, but like met on MySpace back in the day. And so see the potential of those platforms for community building like you were sharing and really to also leverage them as tools to kind of you know just like be scrappy and like figure it out and I love when you're sharing 
like, what is content? I didn't even know. Or like, I want to learn something and there isn't really a YouTube yet. So how do I find information? I think then that time period forced us to be really creative. And also sometimes now there's almost like too many tools. And I find people, and I'm sure maybe you can relate to this too a little bit, especially being a concrete or people are always kind of like coming to you. Obviously that's the benefit, the, the podcast, the content we make, we're doing it because we want people to find it. But sometimes I'm like, yo, just Google, <laughs> like there's like so much information out there, you know, it's like hungry enough to find the information. And so I think that's where I try to resonate and, and also exist in personally, like that's how hungry I am. And it sounds like that's how hungry you are. So I would love to just kind of like take a step back too and understand, because I think it's so fun, especially like companies have unique business names. What does respect my region mean? Like where did that come from when you were creating it? And what is the breadth of respect my region? It's an agency. You do have some cannabis clients, explicitly cannabis. And kind of what are some of the things that you've done for some of your clients in terms of like what would you say your your sweet spot is? Is there a particular type of, you know, bucket? Is it SEO? Is it content creation? Is it something else? Yeah, I'll start at the beginning. I'll try to keep a little brief and roll into where we're at now. But, you know, I, I came up with the name. It's crazy. I know I know exactly where I was when I came up with the name. I, I was living in Portland at the time. Kind of, I was dealing with some issues, some legal issues surrounding cannabis and was really at a, at a flux. I had quit my job. I dropped out of school. I was trying to do music full time. And for a brief second, I even quit the cannabis hustle that I was doing. I was really trying to be all in on music. I wanted to go legit fuck school, fuck everything. Like I'm going to make this dream work and I'm only going to make it work by abandoning everything. And like, you know, <laughs> went through a period of my life where like the lights were cut off and we were having to take showers at the 24 hour fitness. One of my roommates worked at, you know, for a couple of days at a time till we could pay the bills. I always had a safety net. So I, I don't want to like paint this picture. Like, you know, I, I come from a not as incredibly privileged, but more privileged than most of the people I, I spent a lot of my life around background. But, you know, that time trying to do everything on my own and re really, you know, putting all the eggs in this music hustle. I, it was a period of like dealing with and what also drew me to cannabis. I was dealing with some like some medical issues and I didn't have insurance or the money to deal with shit in life was going bad. So I was in a bad place and I I don't know why it was probably just sitting around smoking, playing video games with my roommates. And I came up with this name, Respect My Read. I was sitting in the recliner. I don't even know if I said anything out loud, but I had this whole like, you know, and I'm sure you probably have like brainstorm session in my head. And I had this whole like, oh, this name is so fire. I'm gonna build this business model. And the name was just really about pride from like where you're from. Like I, I'm from the Pacific Northwest and coming from the music community up there. We don't have labels. We don't have infrastructure. We don't get a spotlight. There is no media. We're just very much like underdogs. And certain point in the journey, this is pre the Seahawks start winning. And, you know, maybe Seattle, the, you know, all these tech companies start rising. The Seattle gets a little bit more national hype. But especially at this time, like we weren't getting any hype, sports, music, anything, but especially kind of music and the culture I was running with. We got no respect or no platform. And so it was really about like, I want to provide a platform to like just highlight the shit from this city. And with the idea of scaling it, obviously, Respect My Region isn't just stuck to Seattle or Portland, Pacific Northwest. The idea was we could build something that could scale to any area this feeling that I feel about where I'm from, I'm sure I'm not the only person that feels that. And so we I had this original business model, which I think still could be incorporated, which I didn't even end up pursuing. But years later, I was throwing hip hop shows 
And we were doing a lot of college shows. We were doing local artists. That's always been my thing. Like I've worked with and invested in shows with major artists, but I've just always been more passionate about guys that are really dope and putting their life on their line to make something happen. If I could be a piece of just helping them acquire revenue and audience are two things I've just always committed to do. We were throwing these shows and they were selling out, but we could only charge like five bucks a ticket because we were targeting like college kids and it was unknown artists. So it was just you know, people aren't going to commit money to music they don't know. And we were really about, we want to sell out. We want to pack houses out. So we were doing, you know, very low dollar shows, not making much money. And I was just letting companies that I knew come sell merch. And I didn't even want free. I was like, lace the artist with some free shit, you know, toss me some free shit. I'm not going to charge you a fee. Like, I want to see you guys win too. That was everything I was doing was rooted in that. And at a certain point, I was like, man, maybe I could just start a clothing company that throws these shows and then I can sell my own merch. And I'll be able to make some more money, not again, not for me, but so I can just do more, do more marketing, have more marketing spend. And so I, th that name Respect My Region came back and I was like, damn, that would work for clothing. And my guy who I grew up with was doing graphics. I pitched it. Hey, I got this name. I want to do a clothing company. I want to do this. And, you know, he built our website, designed all these shirts. You know, next thing you know, we're throwing shows. We're sponsoring shows, buying tables to vend at festivals and all sorts of shit. And you know, had an e-com site. We're selling, you know, 50 to a hundred thousand plus dollars in shirts every year. I quickly realized the margins of going American made at small batch made consignment in traditional retail stores fucking sucked. And again, I was doing the cannabis thing at the same time. So I started going to medical shops and was like, Hey, could I sell my merch here? It'll be consignment. I just want like 70% of what you sell. And these guys were like, shit, nobody wants to sell shit here. Hell yeah. Like, and so they'd promote the website in their store and I'd sell T-shirts and get a killer margin. And that honestly helped future now when cannabis transitioned over, I had these relationships with dispensaries. But we're doing that and really just selling clothes. And like I built a blog and in the early 2000s, every T-shirt company had a blog, you know, the hundreds or whatever. So every brand had a blog that was like, here's the how you are companies made. And it was like, fuck it, if we got thousands of people coming to our site, let's just use this as a platform for these artists and these other small businesses or other clothing companies that aren't necessarily direct competitors that we just fuck with. And like, want to shy again, back to the whole ethos of like, I want to provide a platform for others. Like, it's not necessarily about monetizing it. Like, if I can be the conduit of which someone discovers something that they fuck with, like, they'll probably fuck with me just as being that middleman. And so we started building this blog at a certain point, you know, like anyone who's building a business, we were having some decent revenue, but everything was going back in the business. I was working a job, I was selling weed. And, you know, I had like five different jobs I felt like, and this clothing shit was just like a grind. And at a certain point, I was just fell out of love with it. Like, I don't enjoy this shit anymore. I'm tired of spending all of my fucking time and money on something that's just like break. I'm not getting joy out of it and I'm not getting financial gain out of it. So at a certain point, I was like, I'm over this shit. Like, I still love this name. I still love the potential business model ideas I can run with it. But I'm just going to keep the blog going, shut down the clothes till I figure this shit out. And kind of just serendipitously, like, cannabis got legalized not too far after that. And it was like, damn, the same way we do this content, we can do it on weed brands. You know, what we think are going to be weed brands and dispensary features in like 2016. And then it's like the shows that we're throwing. Now we can throw weed shows and rap shows or rap shows sponsored by weed shows because medical shops didn't really want to, they might kick us some money behind the books or promote it, but they didn't really, you know, they were trying to keep their companies not as in the spotlight as possible. Right. So 
once it went wreck, everybody wanted promotion. And so it just kind of like changed how we were able to do stuff. And, you know, that really just opened up a whole new avenue. And I just realized early on, like, yo, this content, I'm friends with some people. I don't want to drop their names because they're in industries where their association with what I do would would be very negative for their business. So I don't want to drop their names, but I, I'm friends with some people that are very, very successful in content, like, you know, $100 million content businesses, right? And I just came up around them and them always just talking about, yo, content, like TV could change. YouTube might go away, but content will always have a place. Like the platform may change, the distribution model may change, but content, there will never not be a need for content creators. And so I grew up hearing that from someone who was building a super successful content business. So I obviously internalized that at a very high level. And so we just knew in legalization, like, let's just create content and build relationships and the money will come. And that's what we were talking about before we got on here. And I really committed to that. It's taken a lot longer than I originally anticipated in 2016. And it's not quite where I, I, I even believe it should be now, but like, fuck it. Like, I, it'll still come. You know, I don't know what, I can't cry about it, right? And at this point in this day and age, obviously legalization is superseded, you know, of when we started just Colorado and Washington. Now I say there's a lot more states that have entered the conversation of the party. At this point, you know, Respect My Region is a media platform. You know, it's two sides of our business. We're a media platform, although there are some components of that where we sell merch or do some cannabis products that a traditional media platform wouldn't make sense. But we kind of come from a lifestyle background. So it's kind of it's just what we do. And then the other side of our business is a marketing agency where traditionally we worked in music, still do a little bit, but primarily cannabis working with clients in, you know, Washington, California, East Coast. Definitely have, you know, some good good brands I could name drop that we've worked with at this point, you know, so. I can name drop them for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How <laughs> do you work? I mean, I, I saw this in your bio. So Tizzy, Jungle Boys, Cookies, Weed Maps, are those clients of yeah. yours? Okay. Very yeah. Yeah. What, whether they're, you know, regular reoccurring clients to just people we've done little one-off stuff with, you know, if you were to write down your favorite weed brands, like across the country, you know, I feel like I've probably worked with the majority of them at some point. And then a lot of the top ones, you know, we've worked with are still trying to figure out how we can do something with. How do you find those opportunities? Do they come to you or do you feel that because it made such a reputation that they're aware of you or is it you kind of prospecting saying, hey, this is what we're about. We feel that we would really vibe with what you're doing. Like, obviously you have a photo of Burner behind you for people who are listening. You can't see that, but Mitch has a photo of Burner behind him. You mentioned working with Cookies. Obviously he has a background as a musician first and foremost. And I actually, you know, sidebar come from the music industry a little bit myself, Austin. We are self-proclaimed live music capital of the world. So I really resonate too with a lot of your observations on just coming from that world and, and really trying to meld the together. They obviously do go super hand in hand. I mean, that's kind of how I ended up in cannabis. Aside from my accident story, which is I loved live music. I love getting high and I love listening to live music. And so again, obviously there's a lot of parallels to it. But so for you, was it you were prospecting to these brands and pitching yourselves? And if so, how do you kind of build up that process? Is it just, you know, you throw in darts and some of them stick or have you now built enough reputation that these people are recognizing and coming to you. I'm just curious about how you acquire a client like a cookies. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit of both. You know, at this point, there's definitely a lot more inbound <laughs> than there was back in the day, you know, and that's definitely attributed to the content for sure. You know, the content goes out there, people become aware of it. 
And that brings inbound leads back to, you know, what we spoke about before we got on here. And even, you know, and what I was just saying, like, you, if you build it, they will come type shit, you know? And I just watched Field of Dreams the other night too. But, you know, it, in the start, it was a lot of outbound. I mean, again, like when cannabis first went legal in Washington, I just knew a lot of people, you know, I was already doing business with a lot of these guys. So some opportunities just kind of really organically came through legalization. You know, it wasn't an industry like, a lot, and I'm not hating on anyone, but it's not an industry where I was like, you know, I'm at fucking Kraft Foods and I want to get into weed. Like, you know, my shit, I was just in weed. <laughs> and so it just, and the, the weed game changed, you know? And so, so some of it started with that. And early on, we were very, very adept again of just being resourceful. Like everybody has an Instagram profile and all these guys are starving for fucking attention. So like, again, not in a negative way. If you're trying to build a brand you're looking. Oh, and you want traffic. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was like just reaching out on people on Instagram, DMing them. Like, I can't remember how many times, you know, our company group chat, we would see an event in some city or some state and all the spots, someone would put it there. And I'd put all the, I'd handwrite all the sponsors in an Excel sheet, like try to figure out their name from their logo, which some of them it's actually fucking hard. <laughs> and then like Google search them and Instagram search them, find their emails, try and find their phone number, DM them on Instagram, email them, you know, and just be relentless from that way. Um, and then nowadays, you know, I, I wasn't really on LinkedIn until maybe like two, three years ago. Obviously LinkedIn has changed the whole most companies, if they have a decent business acumen, you know, you can just find them on LinkedIn. Oh, I find their marketing person and their CEO. I'm going to add them with a note. I'd want to work with you. We kind of have the cheat code because we're a media platform. You know, there is some, but very few people don't want to be featured on a podcast or have a story written about their brand. You know, very few people say no to that. And so just in doing that, it unlocks so many relationships and I'm not really a, Hey, I use this and now I know you and I'm going to try and sell you some shit on some like weirdo, you know, funnel. I'm just like, the more people I know, the more people it's going to organically, like the better I get to know them, I'm going to realize, Hey, you have a gap there. Like you have a goal there and you have a gap. I could potentially fill it if you want to talk about it. No. Okay, cool. Like I'm not going to bug you about it. Oh, okay, cool. Let's set up a meeting. And so a lot of stuff happened like that. And then two, like doing content for people, you know, the North American weed tour we're on was the spawn of the West Coast weed tour. And the original inspiration for that was like full transparency. I was about to have a kid and I was like, man, I'm going to be like locked down for like six months. I'm not going to be able to move around. Like I'm not going to be able to grow the business during this stretch of me as a human and the, the attention that's going to take me personally. Right. Like, so what can we do to just aggressively growth hack as many fucking relationships as possible. Let's do this tour. That'll give us purpose to outreach to fucking thousands of people. And like I hand wrote, I'm not even kidding, like easily six to 800 different companies where I had to find their company, put them in my nerdy ass Excel spreadsheet and email them. And I'm not like one to four times each, every single fucking company, you know, like, and I'm, I'm not even kidding. I hand, not a mass email, which we do a little bit of that now, but I'm personalized fucking email to like 800 people while I have a job and a pregnant wife at home. I'll stand up late during that time period. And a lot of it was like, hey, we're doing this thing. We'd love to sell sponsorships. And certain people paid. And that gave us a little bit of budget to then go to like my videographer friend where I was like, yo, I will pay you. Like, what's the rate that you want to get paid for content? There's two scenarios. One, I'm paying for it out of pocket. I want you to be compensated, but just know as your friend, I'm paying for this out of content, out of my pocket. I'm not making any money on it. I'm just using this to build a relationship. 
And then two, give me a price. If I sell your services, charge me three times, you know, whatever you like, I'm going to pay you much more on those ones because I'm not going to make money off your back and make, you know what I mean? Like I'm making more, you're making more, period. Right. And so we worked out a cool little deal. And then we were able to hit up all these companies that, you know, might not have been responded to sponsoring or at the time we weren't doing as much podcast or our content might have been less known outside of Washington State where I live. And then it was like, hey, I'm going to come to your grow. I'm going to film a free video that you can do whatever the fuck you want with. And then I'm going to do a story on you and like post the shit through my channel. And again, some people said no, but very few people were like, I don't want thousands of dollars of free value. And then as I'm walking through a cultivation tour, like our, our process was like, give us the tour. And my guy will just he'll just film while we're touring. He'll get all the shots he needs. Like we don't need to do like just give us the normal tour you give anyone. But for me, I didn't even necessarily intend on doing this. But now I'm getting a two hour walk through the facility. Likely the owner wants to be there to excitedly talk about his company. And in those two hours, I find out what their goals are, what their budget is, what their gaps are, what, you know, what their plans for expansion are, what their team looks like, what their budget is, who needs to co-sign this budget. And I'm not even necessarily digging for that. It just kind of happens. The, the type of shit I talk about and the questions I ask, it kind of happens. And so a lot of those people that I did free shit with for the intention of like, I want to work with you. I don't want to work with you because of the money. I want to work with you because I like your company. And Doing that free shit unlocked a lot of opportunities with some of the people who still might, you know, been rocking with me, paying us for years now. And it's, I love that because it's not like, because maybe we'll create content on them through our platform now that we're not paid for and I'm hyping them up. And it's like, I'm not doing this because they pay me over here. Like they pay me over here because I fucking pursued that shit. I wanted to work with them. They didn't come to me and pay me and I start, you know, glorifying them. It was kind of the other way around. No, your hustle is very, I respect it, right? Like not to be on the nose with things that it's inspiring me because I think sometimes I get in these lulls and I share a very similar mentality. I'm just like scrappiness. Like I used to be a music blog, but very loose like term blog because I wasn't really doing anything with it. I was just in high school in Austin trying to get into shows at South by Southwest. But it's remarkable how if you can just like find this information, which it does take time. It takes you yeah, building spreadsheets, but hell, like there's information out there. Somebody's email is somewhere. I realized even kind of during life, you can look at a press release for a company and usually there's a media contact on the press release. And so then you take that media contact and then you go shoot shot. And very similar to your point, most people aren't going to say no to free content being made on them. So here I was, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, being walked backstage at concerts and invited into green rooms and regretfully, again, didn't really do with the content at the time. But for me, it paved the way for that mentality of just, oh, information is out there. It's what you do with that information. But I do think sometimes I get in a little bit like, oh, I look at how other people are progressing in their business. And it's like easy to feel jealous and also like self-loathing of like, how can I do that? Realizing it's roll your sleeves up, dude. Like, take the time, send those emails, do things for free. You really don't know what is going to come from it. I just mentioned to you, I was in Germany and I mentioned this on an episode coming out earlier. I was making just content, generally, I'm a content creator, and I got outreached by this brand to some content stores in Bickle. So I have worked with them on a paid basis. But then they reached out to me to come fly to Germany to go do a HQ tour and to talk to their founder and to be a part of this. And it's like, 
like we were talking about too, you always want, you know, more views and more of this and whatever, but it just takes that one person to kind of see your content or to see something and to be like, oh, I want to, I want to work with them or oh, I have an idea. And, and so I just, everything you're saying is very parallel to kind of experiences that, that I've gone through and doors that have been open for me by making free content and by hustling and asking questions and knowing my shit enough to, you know, hold my own when I'm in the room and in the conversation. But it is just super inspiring to hear your hustle because I think that that's really what it's all about in this industry in particular. Like, how do you survive? And it's not someone's going to roll the red carpet and be like, oh, yes, come here. Like, come do this thing. But yeah, if you say, hey, I got a podcast I can offer you. I got a blog I can offer you. I mean, my listeners know this. My podcast is is that exact thing. I think I even shared that with you when we were first connecting. It's currency to be able to offer somebody something that can build your network, right? And so now you know me, I know you. It's like we can continue to influence each other, influence our audiences and things like that. So I just think that's a really cool place to exist in that most people, again, they kind of like glorify it. They're like, oh, I could never do that. It's like, yes, you fucking can. I didn't know how to podcast when I started podcasting. Like I bought a microphone and just started recording. You know what I mean? And like we're talking about too before, you, you don't, maybe launch with the best, you you launch and you iterate and you change and you grow over time. So I really appreciate you sharing that. It's just so much just like, you know, resonance me of like, ah, oh, I feel like I have a very similar back minus the part of, you know, selling marijuana, but consumed a lot of marijuana illegally, of course, just especially where I'm based and where I'm living. quick break to say thank you to Restart CBD for sponsoring this podcast. Restart CBD is a brand my sisters and I founded in our hometown in Austin, Texas. We operate a retail location as well as an e-commerce store, and you can browse our wide range of CBD products at restartcbd.com. Again, thank you to Restart for allowing me the time and resources to put on To Be Blunt. I hope you'll check them out for your CBD needs. Let's go back to the episode. Kind of on that vein, you've been talking about the North American weed tour, you're talking about the West Coast weed tour. Kind of like, what is the scope, the spectrum of that? What is it entail? It sounds like it's a little bit like, hey, we're going to go to these cities and we're going to stop at these brands along the way. But I know you have sponsors of the tour. I know you've got a lot of media, other media, you know, groups, a part of it. Obviously, we're talking about it here on the podcast. So kind of maybe what did it start out as and what has it grown into and what does it all encompass? How many stops do you make? How many brands do you kind of connect with? What is the kind of output content that you are creating as a result of this? I just want to know like all the details of yeah. this weed tour. Yeah, I mean, the West Coast weed tour was the start of it, right? And, and that ethos I was talking about was like, how can we aggressively build out our network as much as we can? And obviously, while we're doing that, we're also challenging ourselves to create. We already for how lean we are, personnel and money-wise, I will always give it. I'm not like a big hype myself up, but I really am proud of myself and our team. And I'll publicly talk about the pride for myself. Like we put out an ungodly amount of content, unfucking godly amount for a long fucking time for how lean we are. And the West Coast Weed Tour was like, how can we do more? Like, how can we break the system? Stretch ourselves to a point where we're going to be fighting internally Every single one of us is going to want to quit at some point. And every year it fucking happens. Every year it happens. You know, when we haven't quit yet. And I believe like from that, like, you know, as a human, you stretch yourself, whether it's having a kid or getting a second job or doing something that you're like, 
I don't see how I, that's not possible. Like you stretch yourself from what you deem is possible. And if you stretch yourself for long enough, that shit just becomes regular and you've grown as an individual. And so on a philosophical note, like that was for us as a company and this as us as individuals, we need to do that in order to just grow. We don't have the money. We're not afforded that opportunity of the money or, you know, we at this time, Joey, my business partner was in Washington. So it's like, we're not even in LA again, back to the start of how this whole thing. So we're not in a fucking area with a spotlight or a lot of money or a lot of infrastructure. Like we really have to build whatever we have. We got to fucking build it ourselves. And so like, how can we challenge ourselves and stretch ourselves and grow our network and understanding, right? Like the end goal is like, I want to grow my network and do all this shit so I can grow my revenue. Again, not necessarily for person. I'm not fucking driving luxury cars or anything, but it's like, I'm a business. I have to have more input if I want to have more output. And so how can I do something? And it was more so like, how can we raise enough money to just break even? Like what level of budget can we raise through sales and sponsorships that'll afford us the ability to, you know, pay for more content, pay for more video work and stuff like that. Right. Cause like me, sure. I'm working for fucking free, whatever, but my, the people that work for me or do videos or whatever, like they're not working for free and I'm not going to ask them to do that. And so how can we acquire more revenue to bring more of that and just make more, more relationships, more content. And originally it was, it was selfish. Like internally it was that, but externally there was also just being involved in cannabis is something that's existed pre-legalization, but it's heightened with legalization. Everybody in, you know, not everybody, but there's so many really quality growers in like Washington and Oregon that'll be like, everyone fucking Cali, fucking cookies brand, all this fucking booth hype industry influence. You know, they're all, we grow the best weed. They just get all, you know, this chip on their shoulder. And it's like, well, yeah, bro, LA is LA. Like you can't compete with the number of people and the money and the fucking celebrity, right? Like we don't have that in bumfuck nowhere, Washington or Oregon, you know? And so like there was this, competitive edge and coming from music, I know people love lists. People, whether they agree with it or, I mean, no one will ever agree with, you know, whether it's the best basketball players of all time, the best fucking rappers of all time, super subjective, but you know, who has the best weed on the West coast, Washington, Oregon, or California. Fuck, we're about to get on the road and go check out facilities and go personally smoke. Whatever bud tenders are saying is the best, whatever we just know through the streets is being regarded as the best. We're going to smoke all that shit. And then we're just going to put out a list that you can't pay for your spot on. That's here's the best weed on the West Coast, not taking any state into consideration. And then here's the best weed state by state, like best that we found in Washington, best we found in Oregon, best in California. And again, obviously, it's subjective. Obviously, it's what we were aware of or we were able to buy some of the shit that people talk about, you know, is out of stock and you can't get. So, you know, there's natural ways we miss stuff. But it was we just knew that brands that were competitive for quality, they would want to be involved with that, right? There was a component of that. And the first year, you know, and when we first started too, we were throwing events still. So I was throwing an event in Seattle, Portland, the Bay, LA, you know, Vegas. And some of those cities, I fucking knew very little people and like really just went on on a limb to be like, okay, same thing. I'm going to throw an event that'll force me to try and sell sponsorships in the city. That'll force me try and get email signups and RSVPs in a city I fucking know nobody, right? And it just forces you because your money and your reputation's on the line to do some shit that you're not going to do on a regular Wednesday. And so that helped build our email list and build our awareness and start building these relationships out of state where quickly, you know, my business partner was able to move to LA. And it's not like a moving out there with not knowing anyone. Now he knows people because we've been there three years in a row throwing events and touring facilities. So selfishly, it was about growth, you know, like whether it's revenue, relationships, as individuals, it was really about growth. 
Externally, it's about content output and helping connect the dots and showcase what legal cannabis looks like, right? The nuances of experience for consumers and patients and the brands that are available, the products that are available, the discussion, you know, like people are in Washington, where I'm from, like we have no delivery, we have no social equity, we have no home grow, we have no lounges, you know? And so some of these things, like people have never seen that. They don't even know that it exists. So just showing like, damn, you can throw an event in downtown LA and have a license. Brands can showcase product and you have licensed delivery, all compliant, have fucking Cameron performing at the concert that you're selling weed at. Like people in Washington are like, what the fuck? You know, and then like we just were in Phoenix, Arizona, a dispensary had a kitchen in it where they're making hot wings and pizza and you can choose 25 milligrams, a thousand milligram infusion of the food they just made. And I was in there, a dude that's been to hundreds of dispensaries like, what the fuck? And so it's about showcasing that, celebrating the culture, showing the brands as we move to the North American weed tour, we've moved a little bit away from obviously who grows the best. The West Coast gets that spotlight or that conversation of known for the best weed in the world. And, you know, I'll co-sign it. The best weed comes from states that touch the Pacific Ocean. You know, I'll stand on that comment. And so as we explore, right, like medical people in Missouri and the Illinois fucking MSOs, they're not hyped about entering their weed against the best of the best from Washington, Oregon and Cali. So it's a a little bit less on what's the best and more about celebrating these nuances and showcasing the differences of culture. And this year, for as far as content output, I mean, hundreds of articles. I don't know how many, you know, an exact. We're going to do a couple hundred podcast episodes. And I have no doubt in my mind that we'll break our record. I think last year we personally reviewed 540 products across the country. I'm sure we'll pass that this year. And that's in a three-month campaign on a very limited budget and personnel team. You know, So again, I'm super proud of what we're able to do when we push ourselves. You should be so fucking proud. I mean, just to bring it back to what you were saying about stretching yourself, I think that is so important just to reiterate, right? It is you're stretching yourself and it's uncomfortable, but when you keep stretching yourself, then that becomes the norm. And so you kind of respond to the pressure, the tension. And I just think it's so fucking cool just to hear your thought process behind some of these things. Because again, I don't think respectfully anything that you're doing is crazy new, right? But it's how you're doing it. And you're like, it's almost like you're not competing with anybody else. You're competing with yourself. You were like, this is what I want. You were talking about your reputation. Obviously, yes, that does involve, you know, the perception of who you are to the outside world and how the perception of your business is. But it is a little bit. And I think you probably feel that as a human. Like, I'm a little bit that way, too, where, of course, I'll be like, I want to beat me from like last week, from me last year. And if I did this many episodes or this many blogs or went to this many dispensaries, like, I got to do better. I got to do more. What can I learn? What can I change? And I just think it's so inspiring, which respectfully do. I love all my guests. They're all informative. They all share, you know, unique things about their backgrounds and journey. But this one for something is just like resonating so hard with me that I'm like, yes, Mitch, you are onto something super cool. And so I just hope people listening and watching are are taking notes and kind of, you know, moving the chip off their shoulder again. I think we feel entitled of like, oh, I should be there. I should be doing that. It's like, fucking do it. <laughs> like, don't talk about it be about it or don't, yeah, don't talk about it. Like actually do it, like be about it. So I feel very excited for, you know, all the content that you're going to create at this tour in particular and kind of have a follow-up question of, do you consume all those products in that time frame? How do you gain it, judge it? And kind of like a sidebar to that is I was talking to another brand on another episode 
about obviously when brands release new products and they need to then test those products and they're like, well, nobody can be on THC for, you know, 24, 40 hours. So there's a clean slate so they can actually test what that product's response is. And so knowing that from like a brand side on your side where the content and just even being a human being, I mean, I go to Colorado and I, you know, eat a gummy and then I smoke something and I couldn't tell you which did what to me. And even like cannabis, like sommelier, like what is best to you? How do you know what is best in terms of how it made you feel? Is it how it looks? Is it how they grew it? Like what go into some of these qualifications and how do you manage actually consuming all these products? That to me seems like a big undertaking, <laughs> a fun yeah. undertaking, but a big undertaking. Yeah, you know, no, it, it definitely is, you know, I, and I definitely, I got to give credit to my business partner, Joey Bravo, you know, he, he helped on a price set, give him a couple different points of credit in, in my response, you know, he consumes at this point more than me, you know, I've, I've been consuming longer than him, you know what I'm saying? I put him on to a lot of stuff when it came to tolerance, pushing a little bit more. I'm a married dude with a kid, you know, and he's like a real deal medical patient. So he's smoking sun up to sundown for medical reasons, right? Or not just smoking, consuming all product types. And he is a savage. Like he can sit there and review three pre-rolls in a fucking row. And like me, I start looking like, I don't necessarily feel high where I, like for me, when I'm reviewing and I get high, the only thing that fucks me up is when I see myself on camera and then I'm like, damn, you look kind of high. And then I like, then I fuck up. Like, you know, I lose. I'm like, damn, what was I going to say or something? And so that, I don't know. That forum is the only time I ever feel like, damn, I'm kind of high. I'm fucking up. Like if we were just kicking it, you know, I could have been chain smoking fucking blunts this entire conversation and been totally fine. You know, people be like, damn, you're still smoking. I'm like, there's weed to smoke, man. What, I'm good. You know what? Camera turning on, it like changes everything. I don't, yeah, I see myself and I either use self-conscious or something. I don't fucking know, man. It's just, it weirds me out. But, you know, I personally, I, I like to review, like maybe, I think the other day, like I did a cart, you know, I'm only hitting it a couple of times to review and then I did some flour after that. But like, if I were to do the flour first, I probably wouldn't have done a cart. If I'm going to review some flour, I'll probably wait a couple hours before I do another one, just so I can come down and really like you said, like really feel the experience. But there are nuances, you know, like again, I'm I'm not a dabber. I'm a baby dabber. I do consume like edibles and vape carts on a, you know, probably daily basis, but flowers my thing, right? That's really what I get excited about. I'm on a never-ending quest to find new flavors, you know, better, better iterations of flavors I like. And I just really enjoy it. But I definitely like, you know, if I, if I were to roll up three blunts right now and smoke them, you know, over the course of, you know, one sitting, you know, I definitely feel like the flavor. I'm going to be able to distinguish the flavor. I'm going to be able to distinguish, oh, damn, I'm feeling that my eyes or my head are kind of pinpoint where I feel it. At this point, I don't necessarily get, it'll be very rare if I smoke some weed and I'm like, fuck, I'm smacked. And I, it's not, I smoke all good weed. So it's not like, okay, not like, are oh, there any like bad products? Like, do you get something and you're like, oh, this actually sucks? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Def, I just bought, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to throw the brand out there. You never say the brand name. Yeah, it's online, but I did, is one of my few negative reviews. I mean, I really only buy and seek to consume the best. So even like for me, like a low score is like an 88 or 89, which is out of 100, which is still really good weed, you know? Yeah, I just don't. What's up to your passing? But I do have, I also have a box of weed that like when my friends come over that aren't on the same palette of me, I'm like, hey, you want some weed? Like disclaimer, it's the stuff that I don't want. Yeah, not to say it's bad, right? Like I don't have anything that's dirt weed, but like I just kind of have a never ending 
ability to just pick from stuff that I really like. So it's like, yeah, I'm just not going to smoke this. And I feel really weird just throwing it away. But I'm not, you know, even if that was the last shit I had, then I'd go hit the store and I'd buy some more stuff because I just love, you know, the moment I smoke good weed, man, back in the day, like I'm not going to not smoke good weed unless for some reason, like I, I'm in Mexico and all I can find is what I can find or some shit. So and then, you know, how we review again, Joey came up with this 100 point scale. So it's 10 categories on a rating of one to 10. The one that we personally put when, when we're talking about flour or, I mean, honestly, any of the products, honestly, is taste. So when we do our video reviews, we usually give a, here's how we're going to rank it on taste out of 10. And then we'll give an overall score out of 100. The overall categories, I might butcher this, but it's going to basically be, it's like appearance, texture, I think like packaging, like something around that, like how it appears on the shelf. Like in Oregon, it's a deli style. So it's not, you can't compare that to a super dope Mylar bag in California or right. So it's a little bit more, we have a category. It's a little loose of like kind of based on the experience you're on, how is it positioned on there? How's the low, you know, the branding look, how does the weed look on, you know, from the consumer point, right? So there's a category for that, the texture, the smell, the taste, the high, and then I think there's like the over then experience. And then we grade it on an overall, we have 10 categories and overall is one of them. Like, Hey, if I'm just basing on everything, here's where I go. And then at the end, obviously you add that up and it gives you the score out of a hundred. For me, the most important and most growers that I get to talk to is like taste, you know, like at the end of the day, I could really give a shit what the weed looks like. If it tastes unbelievably great, like who fucking cares what it looks like. But in being critical for how things are again you know washington you know everything is in the jar and you can't smell it you know before you purchase it and so bag appeal that category is something that like if your shit doesn't look good in the bag in washington it historically it doesn't sell it could be amazing cannabis but if it doesn't look good the consumer is not going to risk a chance on it right and i can't like in oregon you just go in there's jars and you can just smell shit and you like you'll be like it's deli style in Oregon. I don't think oh, I realized that. You're starting to do pre-pack, but most of the stores do deli. And even the ones that have Mylar, they'll weigh it out, like chopstick it out, weigh it out, and then put it in a Mylar and give it to you. But a lot of them, I don't have any in front of me. I have some in a box somewhere. I don't want to dig through, but they're just in like your anywhere from like just blank, like eco-friendly Mylars to like the pop top, like medical pill containers of back in the day. And you know, your nose knows. And that's the one thing about the legacy market of, you know, when I was selling weed, you get those batches where you pull it out and people are like, oh, fuck, like they're just excited to be like, damn, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna buy more this time, you know, but then there's those times too, where you'd pull the bag out and be like, yo, this is not gonna look great, but I swear to God, smoke it. And those people come back the next day, like then when they saw it, they weren't like, oh, I'm not gonna buy the half, just give me a quarter. But then they call you the next day, like, bro, I need an ounce, like, holy fuck, you know? And like, as we've moved to legalization without a deli style, you know, sadly, we don't have that. So you've got to kind of, I think when you're reviewing something, you have to take into bag appeal. And some people, a lot of people that come from the path I come from are like, oh, the hype and the packaging, the mylar, all that fruity shit, that doesn't matter. It's all about the weed. And I'm like, yeah, but as we move to a CPG, the packaging is a part of the experience, man. I love like even, you know, I got this DGI thing right here, right? Like this packaging is so dope as I open it. I don't give a, I'm about to recycle this packaging. I don't give a fuck about it. But the experience of like taking all these things out makes it tight, you know? No, so just like you're saying too in the markets. And I think, I don't want to say it was or wasn't you, but somebody posted on LinkedIn, they were asking about 
because I think there are some states that are like explicitly saying you can't do deli style, but somebody had a post that was basically deli style or branded packaging. What what's better? And I'm thinking, I get it if you want to smell the bud, obviously, deli style and you don't really care. So maybe it's like those purists coming from maybe even just like, you know, legacy, illegal markets, just like consuming cannabis. They just want the bud. But looking at it from a branded perspective, to your point, the appeal, someone's looking at it. I also think of the brand itself, being able to differentiate and say, this is my product, because I've heard of some story in some up and coming states like Oklahoma, where these these cultivators are growing really great flower. I One comes to mind, they're like an award-winning flower in Oklahoma, but they don't have a brand really like recognizable. Like they have a brand, but it's not known to consumers because that market has like, you know, X amount of thousands of licenses. People you're competing against, that they'll get their flower into these dispensaries. And then the dispensaries are just like, eh, fuck it. And they, you know, rip their label off. They put it in a random jar and then sell it to the consumer. And Mitch comes in, Mitch doesn't know who the fuck the cultivator is. And the dispensary sells as their brand. And so it hurts those brands trying to establish themselves with quality power. So again, I see the packaging, especially from a CPG perspective, not only empowering the consumer, but also protecting the brand of the people behind actually bringing that product to market. So this is interesting because I didn't know Oregon offered or did because I know Colorado used to, but I think they've moved away from that to all branded packaging. Yeah. Some of the stores are starting to do like store branded things with a little bit on there. And then again, like, you know, it's, it's always like, what's best. I don't know. You know what I mean? There's pros and cons. Like I love as for a connoisseur legacy smoker. Yeah. We want jars like deli style is I can better ensure that I'm going to buy weed that I'm not disappointed with. Right. And that's a very real thing for me is to buy again, the weed I reviewed was $65, the most expensive weed in the store the other day. And I opened it up and it was like cured like fucking trash. It doesn't even matter how good the genetics, it was just like, this is fucking, I can't believe they put this in the bag and had audacity to charge this price for it. Like somebody, so I'm actually genuinely pissed at whoever's hand put that in a bag and was like, okay with that. Yeah. Happy with it. Like it passed. And it would have never happened if I would have been at a deli style. I would have opened it up and instantly like, yeah, I'm good. Like, no, nah, I don't want that. And so for the connoisseur, the educated smoker that wants flour, the deli style is awesome. But yeah, as a marketer, right? Like, yeah, you're, it's very, how do we brand this? How do we differentiate it? And, but then there's the counter to that argument as if you go to Oregon, like if you're about growing good weed, like your weed's got to speak for itself and you're only going to be known for your weed, not the crazy packaging, not the logo, not the colors, because you're getting this tiny little fucking sticker on a big ass jar. Everyone has the same space, but you go to Oregon and it's like resin ranchers that isn't selling shit in boxes or mylars, but motherfuckers like, oh, that's resin ranchers. I want that because they've established brand on their weed alone which is a great thing but again it's and i'm not saying like oh like but again not everybody's trying to compete at i grow the best weed you know like that's not everyone's position right and not everyone can hold that position but it's every market too i think depending on what market you're operating in it's probably easier or how long you've been doing it or how you entered the market how late you enter like there's other factors i think that contribute to the success of your brand and recognition obviously you can be a new entrant and have some really fire shit that's going to just take off and you can also build a brand for many years and still just be mediocre but you've got the funds and the means to put things in packaging so that's kind of you know your your ammo but i have two kind of follow-up questions one do you buy all the products that you're reviewing or do the brands comp you that you're covering and including them in these lists like is it a little bit I don't say like, obviously, it's not a pay to play list, 
So it's not, hey, give me your product and I'm going to put you on the list in a favorable spot. But I would imagine some opportunity of, I hear you are the best and I would like to try you and I'm going to make some content. Do you want to float some my way? I understand it's difficult doing sampling in the industry, but I think industry has progressed. That's become more manageable. There's a way, like I'm, I know for a fact you've received free product. I've received free product. It is possible. Sure. Okay. Allegedly, we're not lawyers. This is not official anything. But with that said, right, like, is it like 90% you buy it out of pocket or is it just like kind of, you know, random? Yeah, I mean, we we get plugged by a lot of companies that just like hand us stuff. And again, especially at this point, a lot of people just like, hey, I'm really curious what you think. If you like it, review it or, hey, you know, or they're like, yeah, review this, right? So like we we get a lot of products, you know, we know stores that might work with us on a sponsorship level. And, you know, part of that sponsorship will go back and buy products. So everything's compliant. And we're not bending any, you know, making sure that they're cool. But we're not necessarily coming out of pocket for that product. We do sell product reviews too, which is something I'll always be transparent about. Like you cannot buy what we're going to say about you. I've sold product reviews that people have requested we taken down. And like, if they paid for it, sure. If I just did one and someone got a bad review, right? Like I'm, you're not going to ask, I'm not going to take that shit down. But if you paid me to review your shit and then it's not a favorable thing, I'll refund your money and I'll take it. But you know, I'm not in the business of like, Obviously, you don't want to pay me to shit on your stuff. But but also at the same time, we go buy a lot of stuff. And I always feel weird. Like, I don't ever want to be rooted in negativity. It coming from the hip hop space, like all due respect to world star hip hop and all that. But all of that, like the internet, it's so easy to do negative content. Like that gets great engagement, like shitting on people. And I'm going to pull receipts. Why this person's a piece of shit or gross shitty weed. Like that gets great fucking engagement. It's bad for business, one, but it gets great engagement and engagement. We're in the business of like more impressions, more engagement, and we make more money. So while it is bad for business, it's good for business. It's kind of a weird thing. But me personally, I just don't like I'm not a negative dude. Like, I just don't want to be known for that. I don't want to put that shit into the world. Like if we talk offline, I will share, you know, plenty of candid thoughts, but there's plenty of things I hold my tongue Cause I just don't want to fuck up any, you know, someone's out there investing their money and building some shit. I don't want to like negatively impact how they provide for their family. Like it doesn't make it for fucking attention, right? Like that shit doesn't like, I'm not, again, people out there do it and build cool platforms. And I even work, you know, with some of those types of platforms and like, I'm not hating on it, but it's just not me. You know what I mean? I'm not, I don't want to be that i don't like being that and it's funny when people call me out for being that sometimes because i'm like if you know how much fucking money i've turned down to not do that or how much should i know would get attention you know and you, you want to see me really get real with yeah, yeah. like I, can't. I, I i got you know i got dirt on a lot of people too right and like i don't use that for anything right but again i, I really come from this cannabis where like you know not snitching sticking to your own business like we're not doing it how we used to do it but like i I don't know if I would still be here if I didn't abide by that. And so that's just, just like ingrained in me, you know? And, and, but anyways, to your question, like some, you know, some people give us stuff, some people pay for it. We don't charge a crazy amount and we view it as like, I've got to, you know, I'm going to shoot some photos of this and pay someone. I'm going to write yeah, an article. Absolutely. I got to like, I'm covering my costs to create this content. And like, there's no pay me more. And I say something great, but also at the same time, whether we're paid for it or not, we review things from the perspective of who that product is for, right? Like I'm a connoisseur or whatever. I'm not ever buying a dissolute fucking vape cart. I'm never going to buy that. 
live resin or rosin is far superior. The money thing isn't necessarily an issue to me, so I would never buy that. But if I'm going to review a dissolute pen, I can't just be like, yeah, fuck dissolute. Dissolute sucks because there's so many people out there that buy dissolute. I'm not going to shit on you as a consumer. I'm going to say I prefer live resin. It's a little bit more. It's a more quality. Here's why. But in regards to being a dissolute smoker, you know, this is actually pretty good taste. Oh, it might be fruity botanical terps. That's not for me. I'm not a fan of it, but this actually, like, you know, I, I can review it from that perspective of like, I'm not going to give them, uh, you know, like, how do we review a dissolute pen to a live resin? The live resin would supersede it every time, but it's not necessarily like some of the shit is, you know, when we look at all of our reviews and what's the best, obviously we have to look at things like that. But an individual review is like, who is this product intended for? What is it supposed to deliver on? And is it living up to that experience for said customer? And obviously I'll use that forum to hopefully educate and encourage people to upgrade their palate and, you know, spend more. But I, at the end of the day, I'm not going to shit on anyone who can't afford, you know, like a lot of people I know the rate that they smoke, they can't afford to smoke what I smoke, but I also don't pay for all of, you know, like I smoke thousands of dollars of weed every month. Right. But I, I spend more than the average person, but I don't buy all of it. And then to your question too, well, yeah, I do buy like every city I go to everything I go to, like if a dispensary pays us to go check out their stuff or invites us on a tour and stuff so happens to fall into our lap or whatever. Sure. But I still am pulling up on dispensaries to shop and I'm going to ask at a, even if a shop did pay me, Hey, I'm not trying to shit on your business, but what are the other shops that you really respect? Like what else do I need to check out? If I'm looking for fire, obviously I'm here. I'm going to highlight you guys, but I'm, it would be inauthentic to just highlight you. I got to look for what is the best. I have to, you know, scour the internet and, and use the skills I've developed there and ask people on the ground and like, yeah, on the West coast weed tour, I'm trying to review the best in legal product or the North America weed tour. Sure. I'm going to outreach all the companies I want to work with. I'm probably going to outreach them. I don't know, fucking a, a single digit percent are going to like work with me. Right. And it would be inauthentic to only review their shit and then make it right, up, right? So I'm still going to go every city I pull up on. I'm still spending hundreds, if not a thousand dollars on, you know, going to dispensaries. I'm always looking for two things. What's the best? What's the most popular? Show it to me. I'm going to work with the bud tender, probably annoy them a little bit. And I'm going to purchase some shit and we're going to review it. And the shit we get paid for, I guarantee on my life is not getting a better fucking review than the shit that I had to pay for, right? Like I, if anything, like, Maybe the shit I had to pay for, if it doesn't meet qualities, qualifications, that might get a worse review, right? Because uh, Absolutely. Now I'm going to give it away to someone after this review. Like, Hell yeah. No, I, I resonate with that so much. And and obviously I, I demean it in a, you know, this is better. That's, you know, not okay kind of scenario. It's really just kind of trying to navigate the industry and knowing that we have nuances. I think brands do want exposure. They are looking for creative ways to promote their brands to get their content, you know, being featured and created, but it is very delicate because there are certain scenarios where it's gifted or it just lands in your lap, you know, and I just happen to be there. Like, I'm not going to be mad about it. And then there's other times where, again, I very much resonate with our, this whole conversation because I do the same thing. Like for every place that drops me, you know, free things, I'm spending a couple hundred dollars at the dispensary because I'm looking for, yeah, what is the best? What is trending? What is cool? And if that brand doesn't get back to me or I reach out to them, I'm not going to not try their product because I am curious and I want to, you know, consume it and see how it's going to make me feel. So I'm just really curious how you kind of navigate and manage that. It's difficult. Like, yeah, and monetizing, but not selling your soul, right? Like, and I'm not going to name names, but there's cannabis cups out there where like, 
they allow a brand to be the presenting sponsor and then that brand wins categories, right? Like we might do content tours, but I don't let flower touch. If I'm going to put out any content on what's the best, I'm not going to let a flower or product brand necessarily be the sponsor. Maybe a distribution company that has a house of brands, but like, I'm not going to let a brand be a sponsor because even if they are authentically the best, then it doesn't, you know, it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't look well, the optics. Absolutely. No, I agree with that for sure. And I think it is just something like as an industry, we're trying to kind of navigate through because to your point, there are companies that do it and they have big reputations and it's like, okay, if that's the way you want to play, agree, disagree. I don't play that way or I don't want to put that type of content out there. And so obviously, yeah, people will either come to terms that that is the reality for certain businesses and operations and probably gravitate more towards the authentic, you know, genuine people putting out content that's trying to keep it real. But I just, I love what you're up to. I'm super excited to kind of track along with the tour and everything that's going on, all this type of, you know, reviews and content and even like thought process that you guys are putting into this that you're building. And final question is, where is the tour going to take you next? Man, so Joey's in Toronto at Hall of Flowers right now. I sat this one out. And so for people to understand, some people get confused, right? We're on a tour, but we're not, I'm not on the road for like three months straight without coming home. So even when we did the West Coast weed tour, we would maybe do an event or travel for a weekend or a couple of days and come back home. But at one point of that, we would be on the road for like three weeks in a van going from, we'd literally drive from Seattle to LA and back and we'd just be visiting facilities and shopping at dispensaries the entire way. As we've moved into the North American weed tour, I would love to do that. If, if we had the budget to do it where I couldn't say no and my wife was like, yeah, go get that bread. Maybe I'd be on the road, you know, for, for two, two and a half months. That's not the the reality. So it's, it's, it's a lot of digital content and it is physically moving around. Like we were just in Arizona two weeks ago. Yeah. Joey's in Toronto now. Next week we'll be in Massachusetts for a week. And then I, and then I'll, I will be on the road for like three weeks. I'll go from like Seattle to Massachusetts. Then I'll go to LA and then Vegas and then LA and then Hall of Flowers at Santa Rosa. And then I'll be at home for a couple of weeks. And then it's like Chicago and then MJ BizCon. And so, you know, we kind of use we like to use now in our model, these events, like if, if I can go to a market and do a high level networking event and parlay that with like, while I'm there, I can go check out some local culture, shop at some dispensaries, line up some cultivation visits. You know, that's, that's kind of the model of how we do it. So the tour is going to take us a little bit more on the map, you know, especially this next month, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of, a lot of money spent on travel right now, booked out, but you know, super, super excited to get out there and check everything. I mean, it's so funny at the end of the day, like we write down all the events that we want to go and all the States we want to go like physically be at. And, you know, I can't like all these events end up like Benzinga and Hall of Flowers Toronto are right at the same time. (laughs) And like, I'm going to be gone for three weeks. So I wasn't about to tell my wife, oh, I'm going to be gone for four weeks instead of three. So I was like, I'm just not even going to push the issue on that one, you know? And so like, sometimes you can't physically do it for one reason or another. And then, you know, obviously when it comes down to budget too, like, damn, I'd love to just pull up to every state, rent a car, drive around the whole state and just create content and visit facilities without any concern of monetizing it whatsoever, which, you know, we do a lot of that, but it's like some of that shit just does, is, isn't feasible, right? So, you know, at the start of every tour, we write places that we need to cover, write places that we need to physically visit. We never get to all the ones we want. And then write all the events that we want to go to. And same thing, you know, we, we don't necessarily get to all the ones we want, but, but we definitely push, push the line more than more people. And I would say we're pushing the line more than 99.9% of the people that aren't spending some fucking corporate card to, to get to all these places. 
You're doing it. You're crushing it. You're rocking it. I look forward to meeting you. I'll be at MJ Biz. You're talking about all these conferences. I'm like, I'm very similar. So I don't have a baby or a child. So I have no excuse other than I, my excuse is my baby is my physical retail business. So that takes priority and precedence. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to this thing and I'm going to go to that thing. And then my team's like, oh, so you're just gone all of, you know, fall. And I'm like, mm-hmm, but I'm going to all these events. So for me, I picked MJ Biz. So I'll see you in Vegas in a couple months. And just really appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast. Thanks for sharing. So can't and super honored and excited to just see what you guys are up to and, and help champion your journey. So keep it up. Hell yeah. Thank you, Shayda. Help. Thank you very much for having me on here. Love, love the discussion, man. I, I interview people all week. I, I rarely get on the other side, man. So, so very humbled and appreciative of that. Happy to have you. Absolutely. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash to be blunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi.com.